Welcome to the show, and thanks for checking us out. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We've got a great guest, Dale Crover, who's the drummer for the Melvins, and he's been in a ton of other bands, including for a brief time Nirvana. He plays on a few songs on Incesticide and Bleach and some other recordings, but I just can't believe how many recordings he's played on uh, besides Nirvana and the Melvins. I mean, if you count all his bands, the Melvins alone have like 32 albums, and they have a new one coming out. And also, Dale just released a solo album. So we'll talk about all this. And I had a really great time talking with Dale. Even my girlfriend, who was in the other room, said she could hear me laughing really hard. So I think you guys will enjoy this, too. Check it out. All right. Well, welcome, Dale Crover, to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing? Good, Chuck. How are you? Great. Great. Yeah, it's a beautiful, sunny day here. You're in, are you still in L.A.? I am. Yeah. So, so you've lived there since, day. like, 99 or something, right? Correct. Yeah. So if we, if we can, though, I do want to tell you, there's, you have such an amazing story. I've heard so many uh, interviews you've done and, and you've got a lot of tales to tell. And so if we could start at the beginning back in Aberdeen, Washington, which is, uh, I didn't realize uh, three bands have come from that uh, area, the Melvins, Nirvana, and then I didn't know Metal Church had a couple Metal members Church, yeah. from there. And also you said a Doobie brother. Yeah. Um, oh. I can't remember his name. Patrick Simmons, I think it was. That might be him. Yeah. But so I'm actually from Seattle. I moved to Arizona in um, 2008, but I've been to Aberdeen a couple of times. But I want to hear from you. Can you explain to the listeners, Aberdeen, Washington, like what it's like and what it was like growing up there in the, I guess it would have been the 80s, right? Uh, 70s. 70s and 80s. 60s. (laughs) I was born in 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. Woohoo! And uh, I don't know, it was a sleepy middle of nowhere, logging town. And um, sometime after I was born, the industry took a big dump, and then it became a big, depressing, not super great place. Um, I mean, growing up, I guess it was fine, you know? Um, Yeah, like you were saying, there's actually three bands that came from there, which is kind of amazing, considering how isolated and yeah. And, uh, uh, and, was and, there a big music scene? I mean, are those the only three bands that they all three no, bands I mean, that came from there made it? Or is it just was there other bands that didn't make it or? Uh, nothing. There wasn't like any bands there that were doing original music that that, you know, uh, were around that didn't you know really do something, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it just wasn't much there, you know, a yeah. really small town. Um, and the weather there no place. There was no place to play. Right. You know, I mean, Melvin's really never played there. We, we maybe played a couple of shows. One after we actually left that area and came back and played once in Hokium, Hokium, Washington, they call it. Um, but otherwise, there was nothing there was nothing going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really. Yeah. And the we- the we- the weather there, though, can you describe like the weather is so I mean, Seattle is kind of dark and dreary, but I feel like Aberdeen, I feel like it's worse. I feel like there's no days of sun in Aberdeen. Yeah. True. I mean, there was like, I remember when there would be like 90 straight days of rain and you wouldn't see the sun, and, you know, not, it's, you know, not too different from, uh, England, you know, yeah. uh, very much the same, like Liverpool. Did that but, bother uh, you at all? Or did you just get used to it? Cause I, I kind of got used to it living in Seattle. And then it was like when I went to college and I was in central Washington, I, I realized, Oh, the sun comes out a lot more over here and it totally, and then when I moved back, that's when it kind of, I, I realized, Oh, I don't, I don't really like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, plus Aberdeen's also right underneath the, the, the uh, rainforest. 
you know, the uh, yeah. Olympic National Rainforest. Uh-huh. So it gets a lot of rain, you know, a lot of rain yeah. dumped on it constantly. Um, but it's different, you know, like when it rains here, it'll just like open up and just pour. And there it's just like constant, like a constant drizzle. Right, know? right. Nobody, nobody worries about umbrellas. Nope. Yeah. That's what I try <laughs> to explain people like in umbrellas. Seattle. They're like, no, because it's just always raining. So why would you even? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But so, so music, <laughs> then you, you got into music at a young age, you started um, taking guitar lessons at the library, you, you know, you, the monkeys and the Beatles were kind of the early stuff, but then it was actually that sure. the guy from metal church who was your neighbor and he got into all the heavy yeah. stuff like Judas priest and maiden and all that stuff. And that's when you started playing drums, yeah. right? Led Zeppelin too. He got me into yeah, Led Zeppelin too. That's a good one. Yeah. That was a really good one. Uh, I remember borrowing that record from for a long time <laughs> and Finally giving it back to him, and he's like, oh, oh, shit. Uh, um, oh, I thought somebody stole this, and I accused this other guy of stealing this record. I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, totally Whoops. forgot they loaned it to me. <laughs> oh, no. But so that, then you played in a metal band, and you guys had to do, like, of course, when you're playing in a band that age, like, you have to do cover, so you did Iron Maiden and Priest and, and Loverboy and, and, and Stairway to Heaven, all sorts of stuff, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it was like a high school cover band, you know? Um, and which there was, you know, maybe about three of around our area. Okay. You know, actually, Metal Church, be- before they were Metal Church, they were called Shrapnel. Right. And those guys were playing high school dances as well. And they did all covers as well? But they, but they were actually, they did, but they were actually doing like Saxon songs and stuff. Oh, know? okay. <laughs> Whereas the, the, the one I was in, I mean, you got to remember, I was like 14 years old. Yeah. Playing in a band. So being, at least being that age and, you know, finding a band is, is, uh, uh rare <laughs> right you so uh, yeah so then ta- coming from where we came from yeah so talk so. about then how you ended up uh joining the melvins what didn't uh nirvana's bass player he he worked he kind of hooked you up with those guys right yeah but it was long before he was nirvana's bass player yeah he was working at taco bell or something <laughs> yeah I, I knew his younger brother robert we were in the same grade and then um i'd met robert when i was in sixth grade and probably didn't meet chris until high school and, um, but then knowing who he was in high school, he was kind of like, he was popular. He was super tall and kind of the class clown. And, um, I remember him telling me that he was, uh, uh joining the Melvins. This is actually, actually after I'd seen the Melvins perform on, on the radio show that my cover band had played with, uh, uh previously, probably yeah. about six months previously. And, uh, um, um, Oh, the dog wants to join the interview. Oh, hey, how you interview. doing? No, he left. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's um, interesting because like you said, you're in a cover band and that's obviously, if you're starting out, I mean, that's kind of what you got to do, but these guys actually played right. originals and they toured to like exciting places like Olympia, Washington, which, you know, yeah. it's the capital. But so that was like really appealing to you to actually try to do. That's like a lot harder thing to get, uh, you know, people to come see you to do if you're doing originals, if you don't have the name behind you. Right. Right. Well, I knew that those guys were playing out of town and playing in like Olympia and Seattle and mm-hmm. things like that, though. I didn't really know the extent of it at the time, <laughs> but you know, just being able to get out of town and play was, I thought that was pretty impressive and yeah. Playing original music. So know, yeah, how do you, that, how do you get people to come see you? with original isn't that harder to draw a crowd or or do, is there certain clubs that kind of just that, that they always have original bands so people just used to that and they like to 
Well, yeah, back then we were playing places like the Tropicana, which was a punk rock club um, in Olympia. Um, And, you know, there was somewhat of a small scene for that stuff. That's cool. And then same with Seattle. And so did they kind of get you into more of that punk rock music, like Black Flag and Butthole Surfers and stuff? Yeah. Absolutely. Because you were playing, you you were more into metal at that point. Before I was. Yeah, okay. But but those guys also uh, liked a lot of that stuff, too. You know, mm-hmm. they like they liked a lot of weird new wave of British heavy metal stuff that I liked, like like uh, Raven or Motorhead. <laughs> right. You yeah. Um, uh, I think at the time they probably even appreciated like, you know, Metallica, Venom, Slayer. They knew about all those bands. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. stuff. So, yeah, those and, like. And, well, also, you know, they could see the the uh, um, uh, the uh, 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 um, uh, how much the same that was you know like rebellious music in the yeah. same vein for you know, sure uh, more of an outsider type of thing and hard and, and aggressive music absolutely yeah and you guys definitely have that mel- uh, me- metal influence on the band for sure it's it's dark and yeah it's kind well, of even when i first saw those guys it's like i knew okay i know that they weren't a, they're not a metal band i knew that they're a punk rock band mm-hmm. but i could also tell like you know that's it sounds like metal to me yeah, you know, I could tell that those dudes like Motorhead, you know, for sure. A lot of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely crosses yeah. over. Absolutely. So and it's around this time, too, that that's this totally. is when you first met uh, Kurt Cobain. And you said that you, you met him and he was an instantly likable guy. Like, but th- this is before you heard his music. So what made him yeah. likable in terms of his personality? Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, just one of those dudes that was, uh, you know, uh, uh Easily likable, and uh, uh, we hit it off right away. Didn't you, you say know, he had uh, liked his sense of humor? Yeah, you said he had a dark sense of humor, like he was uh, painting statues of the Virgin Mary to look demonic and and things like that. <laughs> yeah, and and doing all kinds of uh, stupid graffiti, you know, painting cat butts all over the place <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> so um, yeah, and well, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of his artwork, like the Chim yeah. Chim Monkey. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Chim Chim around for a long time before <laughs> before he made it any place. I thought you know? this was interesting that you guys had actually considered having Cobain play in the Melvins, but the reason that you didn't is because he didn't have any gear, and that just like kind Pretty of much. that made me. It's so sad. It made me think like how many kids are out there <laughs> that don't have, they gear? Don't have any gear. Yeah, isn't yeah. that it's such a crazy story. <laughs> well, it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, really that, you know, that was like maybe a, a, a thought for a day. Or oh, okay. But know. yeah, so he invites, like, oh, let's see if he yeah. wants to play with us, you know? Yeah. Cause he liked what we were doing and, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, he got turned on to all the same kind of music about the same time as I did. Right. Okay. And yeah. so he, but he did invite you to, uh, do a demo with him and you guys played in this thing called fecal matter. And then, yes. and, and then you worked a little bit on, you actually play, I didn't realize this until uh, doing the research for this interview. You played on my favorite Nirvana album, Incesticide. You played like, uh, what oh, right is it, on. four or five songs on there. That's correct. Yeah. And, and also the Bleach uh, record. So did you Bleach think record. when working with Cobain at the time, did you think like, oh, this kid's, he's so special. He's going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame someday. Or are you just like, <laughs> there's another punk rock kid from Aberdeen? There weren't too many punk rock kids from Aberdeen, but um, no, I always enjoyed playing with them, and I felt that we had a, a, a great musical connection. You know, uh, you, you know, what can I say? That story ended really badly, and and it's unfortunate. Uh, 
had it not uh, ended the way that it did, I think that we probably would have played music again. Mm-hmm. In some yeah. form or another. So, yeah. So, but do you ever have any regrets? Like, do you wish that you had stayed in Nirvana or what, how did that, like, how did you just, cause you were in the Melvins too. And so no, that was kind of your yeah, main I mean, band. I wasn't right. Yeah. Right. You know, um, no, I don't have any regrets. Oh. My only regret is that he's dead. Yeah. So terrible. <laughs> well, know, so I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything that I could have done that would have changed that. Yeah. You know, maybe, but I doubt it. And, right. So, you know, the last time it was like, I think you, I heard you say 1990 was the last time you had a real job. You were working at uh, round table pizza, which I love. Was this in Seattle? No, it was in San Francisco. Well, oh, that was in San Francisco. Okay. So we're, see, I interview a lot of guys from the eighties rock bands and I'm always fascinated by that scene, the whole like sunset strip of the eighties. Well, how much, because all of the, all of them worked at pizza places. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But how subway. much, I remember going into a subway around here and like looking at the dudes and going, yeah, that dude's in a glam band that, you know, <laughs> you can totally tell. Right. <laughs> for sure. But so how much involvement did you have? Were you around the Seattle scene at all? Cause I know you're in Aberdeen and then you're in San Francisco and now you're in LA. Did you live in Seattle at all? I mean, or did you know? No, no never lived there. I mean, we knew all those people from there, but, but yeah, we, uh, um, we'd only go up there and go to shows and, and I don't know, we had some friends that we used to hang out with there and, and, uh, get into trouble with. Okay. You know? So what, <laughs> what made you guys decide to move to San Francisco? Just it's a bigger city. Well, we, well, no, well that, but I mean, also, um, we had recorded our first record down there and met some people that, that, uh, our label was from there. And, um, I don't know, uh, Seattle at the time was, um, you know, it wasn't some, though there were great bands and things like that there, it wasn't some like hotbed of, of, uh, uh, uh gigs happening, hmm. you know, at that time. Well, you, you say you're from there, right? From Seattle. Remember, yeah. From Seattle. Do you remember, uh, 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 and I don't know how old you are, but there was a time period when there were no all ages gigs there because of, uh, um, some stuff that happened in a nightclub called Scoochies. Oh no, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. So about the, about mid eighties, probably about a year and a half or so after I had been playing with the Melvins, all of a sudden you couldn't get an all ages gig in Seattle. They just didn't exist because mm. there was some trouble drugs or something that happened at, at this nightclub. And so that was it for all ages shows in Seattle. And that's why a bunch of them happened at Tacoma. Mm. There was a bunch of big shows that happened there mm. in uh, the late, late eighties. And there was only a few places really to play in Seattle. Central Tavern was kind of happening for a while. Um, there was a place called the Vogue, but in our, in our eyes, we had an opportunity to go to San Francisco and do something different. And, you know, there just, Seattle hadn't happened yet. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> you know, there really wasn't anything happening there that we couldn't just go to San Francisco and make happen. Right. And, so, um, yeah. So then so Seattle- we basically moved away and started over. Yeah. You know? And you, and you and guys, then the, and then the Seattle thing happened and blew up and then we came back and, and played shows and, and it was like, we never left. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it so cool matter. because Kurt helped you out. His obviously Nirvana blows up and, and they released the incesticide CD. And, um, so that's gotta be a nice royalty check, but then he hooks you guys up with Atlantic records. And I like what you said about them that, you know, they didn't want to make you the next Nirvana. They wanted you guys to make their record labor label look cool because you guys influence a lot of like cool bands and so you know they, they kind of use that as a selling point like hey we got the melvins on our label you want to you know like we're cool we're the cool label right yeah there always seemed to be uh this thinking that 
major labels are evil and they're going to rip you off. Yeah. When in actuality, uh, we've been ripped off by more independent labels and, 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 and things like that. Really? So it's like the, yeah, the major labels are on the up and up. They don't want to get sued. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? How, so how so, does the independent label rip you off? What do they, they don't pay you? <laughs> oh man, that sucks. Take everything and, and leave. In the middle of the night. And just close up shop. Like a bad girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, so you guys released that uh, Houdini. I think, is that the biggest Melvin's record? And where do you, do you, you guys have done yeah, so many song, records. Do you song. love that one the most? Or where does it rank on your top? I like it. I don't think I love it the most, but I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, I, I'm fine that that's our biggest selling record. We still play songs off of it. So, you know, it's not like we hate it or anything like that. Yeah. Well, so what is your favorite record then? Cause you guys have so many, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, I used to say stag all the time. Uh, but I don't know. We've made so many since then and I think we've gotten better since then. So I don't know. All of them are great. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you uh, keep up that? Like, I mean, cause you got like Axl Rose doing Chinese democracy. It takes them like 20 years to make a record. And you guys make so many records. What is your process just more simple for that kind of stuff? Like you don't produce it to death. I, and I think maybe we're just more bold about things and not as, um, we're not worried. We're certainly not worried about what people think. Um, and it's not like we're making records to, to, uh, uh for people to, uh, uh to, to turn people off or anything like that. Uh -huh. I don't know. I guess we're just, I guess we're just confident. And <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're, we're confident and very sure of ourselves and we're not afraid. That's awesome. So yeah. yeah, then you guys, you guys have done some big shows. You got to play with kiss and then, um, you got to play yeah. Ozfest. Um, that was cool. Well, yeah, so let's talk about the kiss one actually, cause you did six shows, sure. uh, on the reunion tour and you, you kind of have a relationship with Gene Simmons. We, we did. And we do, we still do. Gene was even in the, uh, Melvin's documentary that our friend made. And said said some very nice things about us. So he's a so, fan. I even I even saw yeah I even saw Gene at the uh, you're wearing a Soundgarden shirt there. I see. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I saw Gene at the uh, Chris Cornell tribute concert that we played a couple years ago, and um, and got to thank him for being in that movie because uh, I didn't I didn't get to see uh, when he was filming it. I didn't get to see it. And um, Gene's always been very very cool and very nice and even told me that he loved me. So Aww. there you go. That's really people cool. People rag on Gene. It's funny yeah. people rag on Gene because um, I was just reading this thing of where he was talking about um, his bass influences, you know. And, you know, with the internet, things get, uh, you know, the headlines get put up with these sure. things. And, you know, it's like Gene Simmons says that uh, Stone's guitar player is better bass player than guitar player or, uh, um, or that, uh, um you know, better than Led Zeppelin or whatever. And, and it's like, oh, no, I know what he was saying. People are just like, Gene Simmons, what does he know? You know, it's like, oh, no, I know what he was saying. Uh, he's talking about Ron Wood, who is an awesome bass player who played in the Jeff Beck group, who were predate Led Zeppelin and and uh, is uh, arguable that Led Zeppelin would not existed without the Jeff Beck group, you know? Hmm. Think about it. They got Jeff Beck on guitar, who was in the Yardbirds with Jimmy Page, Rod Stewart, style singer, you know, uh, uh, Robert Plant, you know? Yeah. Uh, those guys are even doing the same songs that the Jeff Beck group was doing. <laughs> wow. You know, your seventies rock. So are you still a pretty big kiss fan then? You, you, it's so oh, funny. Yeah, I, yeah. It's crazy I, I how mean, that influenced still, so many bands. 
I think the Alive record's great, you know? Yeah. People will always say, too, like, oh, those guys did that songs. Like, bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You listen to Alive. Yeah, no, I, I like I like it, but it's interesting. I'm not as big a Kiss fan as a lot of the people I interview. I mean, that's like the thing that, that started a lot of these bands. That's what they decided. They're like, Gene, yeah. yeah. Gene is an awesome bass player. I think he's underrated as a bass player and as a singer. And he's definitely an influence for me, singing style for sure. But like, so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so, what about like, do you think, what is this whole like, you know, the punk rock thing? Like, bands selling out and stuff do you think kiss sold out? i mean because he is so he's selling everything you know everything's for sale you guys are kind of the opposite right I mean, especially or that's kind of the punk rock thing is that you don't sell out you don't sell anything you're not trying to make music no, people, yeah we've tried it just doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i don't know what people's definition i mean for us being on atlantic you know that was selling out or whatever even before that we got accused of selling out you know I remember when we made the Bullhead record, people accused of accused of, of becoming more commercial. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> but don't you have right. to? I mean, how do you? What level can you still make money and and pay your bills and not sell out? I mean, that's got to be a hard line to 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 yeah, toe well, there. I, mean, I don't feel like. I mean, you know, I, I I my definition of selling out would be you know us, you know, com- going completely vanilla and. And trying to write, you know, pop songs, like mm-hmm. trying to sell records, you know, right. I mean, not that we're not trying to sell records, but we're not, we're not, you know, purposely trying to write, you know, the next hit. You know, you know you're making music that you think right. is cool, right? You're not making music to make right. other people happy. You're making music to make yourself happy. And if other people like it, that's awesome. Exactly. And we've, okay. we've managed to make a living. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, but then we're, so- we're, we're, we're uh, 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 as blue collar of, as a band as you can get. You know, yeah. hard working, working for a long time, no sign of retirement in sight. Love it. I love it. So, so yeah, you guys kind of felt out of place on that OzFest tour. Tool wanted you to, to do it. Tool loves you guys, but you kind of felt like oddballs, like, but you did get to see Motorhead play. That was kind of the, the highlight. Yeah, they were great watching those guys play every day. It'd be like a half hour set of them playing. And so they'd do their, you know, all their, all their hits. And uh, it was great. So what? <laughs> the highlight yeah. of the day would be sitting around waiting for Motorhead to play, and then after that, I'd be like, "All right, let's go to bed." So why did you guys feel like the oddballs? Did you feel like people weren't digging it, or or did you just feel well, uncomfortable? I mean, um, I mean, musically, you know, I suppose we're different. I mean, we're certainly different than, you know, it was like the year of like Limp Biscuit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know, I mean. That's it a different wasn't sound. That Ozfest sure. wanted us there necessarily. Like we weren't picked to be on the Ozfest thing. We we're only there because of the Tool guys, you know. Mm. Um, which is fine. You know, yeah. I'm really glad that they asked, and, and it was it was quite a, an experience. Um, you know, a bunch of the bands on our stage went on to be. We were on like the second stage, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them went on to be really big bands, like uh, System of a Down. Oh yeah, that's huge. In- Incubus. Big things, ones. you know, the bands like that. Um, what we didn't realize until later is, um, you see, we were uh, we were getting paid. Ozfest was giving us like five hundred bucks, and Tool were giving us another five hundred bucks and taking us on their bus. And it wasn't until I was talking to one of the guys on the second stage, one of the bands. I can't remember the band, but uh, talking to the singer, and he's like, "Oh man, uh, we're having a hard time. We had to call uh, call home and get money from our parents." I'm like, "Oh really?" wow, you guys are losing money? He's like, well, we're not getting paid. 
I was like, what? You guys aren't getting paid? Yeah. And then I, I realized like, none of those bands on that second stage were getting paid. A lot of them, don't they do the pay to play? This is the thing. I, I just, they do after, yeah. Because after that, because, because System of a Down and Incubus went on to be big. Yeah. So now, you know, the whole payola thing. You know, yeah. it's, really, it's, it's weird. You guys don't do that, do you? Charge bands to play with us, or or do you pay All you? The time. Do, no, do you don't pay to to play on to get onto a tour or a festival or anything? No, we've never we've never had to do anything, or we've 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 been asked to do things like that, but we've always just declined. Okay, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm you know, bands would do that. They would. I mean, that was definitely, um, I guess, more of that time period. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it still happens. Yeah, you know, where where there will be a buy on for a tour to where you can get on the tour to try to help sell your band or whatever. Yeah, to get in the spotlight. I guess it kind of works for the up and coming bands, but um well tell Labels us you to spend a lot of money on that. Yeah. Well, let's how about do you like performing uh with uh what is that band called? How do you say this? Fantomas? Fantomas. Fantomas with Fantomas. Mike Patton and uh yes. Dave Lombardo. I saw you guys do a show. It's like two drums. Oh, you saw the devil thing. That is so yeah, tell me what it's like. I mean, Dave Lombardo I can't remember. Did it, did I say, did I, did you say that you influenced, you inspired him, which is amazing. He's an amazing know. drummer. Did I, I, th- I thought that's what sure. I heard or maybe he, <laughs> but you got to play with him. We have, I know that we have mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Sure. So it's, it's gotta so, be cool performing with him and Mike Patton. Mike Patton is a genius. Goddamn genius. <laughs> it was great. You know, it was really fun playing with Dave. Um, I realized watching him, when we were playing, when we've been playing together for a little bit, I'm like, you're left-handed, aren't you? And he's like, yeah. And like, cause I, I'm like, why does it look so weird the way he starts his fill? Cause, and I was kind of oh. like, I would try to imitate it sometimes, you know, before I kind of knew him just like his, this drum fill he would do. Um, I, I don't know, something like, uh, uh, I, I guess maybe on a song like uh, honey bucket, I was trying to imitate a Dave Lombardo drum fill for a part of it. And, um, and then I realized, oh, it's cause he starts with his left hand. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Can you keep up with him? I mean, he's so, he can go so fast. Can you go as fast as, as him? You guys ever tried to like, <laughs> um, uh, I can't, but he can't go as slow as me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got him there. <laughs> I like that. I like that. He's, he's got it. Yeah. His, his stamina for that stuff is, is amazing. You know, um, uh, you know, I could do it. I'd have to work myself up to it, but certainly I took over for him in Phantomos when he couldn't do some touring. Um, yeah. You know, so, so I've had to fill those shoes <laughs> so and do some really fast double bass stuff. Yeah. Luckily with the Phantomos stuff, uh, it, it's not like uh, you have to do a, a constant double bass thing for, for, you know, you know, more than about 15 seconds, you know, oh, okay. as opposed to a Slayer song where you got to do it for, you know, yeah. Four minutes. <laughs> that would be hard. And speaking of, of double basses, like you guys actually have a couple albums where you have two bass players playing at the at, on the on the record of the. That's pretty cool. That's kind of like an yeah. interesting idea. Like, what? How did you we, think of that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's something that we'd. Uh, uh, well, we were at the time we'd been playing with Steve McDonald from Red Cross, and we'd also planned on doing some playing with Jeff or Jeff Pincus from. Uh, the butthole surfers mm-hmm. and somehow we found ourselves in, in, in the room with both of them <laughs> and, and we're like, Hey, why don't you guys try <laughs> playing together? 
you know? And then I was like, oh, this is very cool. I mean, it's definitely something that we probably had thought about before. And I know that we've kind of, um, we've done something like that before live, you know, mm. where we'd have like uh, uh, Trevor Dunn come up and join us playing Night Goat along with two bass players. From Mr. Bungle. So, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, Melvin's have in the past had uh, also two drummers. Like we had the big business guys in the band. And so it was me and Cody Willis playing drum drums together. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just seemed like something that we could do. And, you know, both of those guys are completely unique bass players on their own. And uh, it just, it worked. Yeah. I love the, the, one of the albums that you did on that, that you called bases loaded. That's such a great name. (laughs) Who thought of that? Yeah. Uh, Actually Trevor Dunn. Okay. Yeah, he's he's great. I, <laughs> he went. Yeah, he wanted to call. It, yeah, he wanted to call it bassist loaded. Oh, that's so, good yeah, too. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, oh. I mean, he always he always joked about having a, a record called that. And so <laughs> we, we realized that we had all all these songs with different bass players on them, and asked him if we could use that title, and he he allowed us to. That's that's awesome. That's perfect. So yeah. so tell me about the new Melvin's album, uh, Working with God. I don't. It comes out February twenty yeah, sixth. Speaking, speaking of bass players. Yeah, I get to play bass on this record. It's the, oh. uh, the yeah, it's the version of the band called the Melvin's 1983, and that version is is close to the original band as you can get. Um, it's with Mike Diller, the original drummer, uh, Buzz, the original guitar player, and me, the not so original bass player. Mm. Um, and uh, when I guess this was probably it's been a while now. Um, when Jello Biafra had his 50th birthday party, that version of the band reunited to play the original demo track stuff, original demo tracks from Melvin's. Um, and uh, uh, we got together and we're rehearsing, and, and we're like, hey, this is fun, we should just write new songs, and so. <laughs> that's what this is okay yeah i heard the New single with the original drummer the single yeah, the, which one? the great good place i think that's the only one oh, I, yeah it's uh it's got a big drum opening so th- that's not you playing dr- you only play bass it's not i oh, only play bass okay yeah interesting so when you guys do a live show um for the melvins how do you pick a set list because like i said you have so many albums and so many songs you're not expected to know all those songs are you <laughs> no, uh, I'm sure that we've forgotten hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have a pretty good memory. I, I'm bad at putting like uh, names to songs, but if you start playing something that's old, I can probably like remember it pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part. I don't know. There's songs that we kind of always play. Sure. And I mean, there's like there's like kind of a. I'd say there's probably about 30 songs that we kind of get rotated. Okay. Always, you know, like, um, I mean, we're probably going to play the bit most likely or, or, um, honey bucket's been in there a lot lately. Sure. That had gone away for a long time. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and other, other than we just, I don't know, probably felt like we couldn't do it justice, but sounds pretty good now. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so or Night Goat, you know, that one's going to be in there most likely. You know, there's certain songs that we feel are, are probably our most popular. We will play. Sure. Um, and I don't know. But then, yeah, there's always songs people go, how come we don't play this? Or you should do this one or that one. Right. Sometimes we'll listen. <laughs> do you ever throw sometimes in Sometimes my a... wife, sometimes my wife will make suggestions because. Oh, really? You know, yeah. Just she's like, oh, that's a really good song. You guys should do that. And so 
Sometimes we listen to her. Do you guys ever do covers? I've never <laughs> seen you live. Oh, all the time. Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What What are some of the covers that you do? Uh, Sacrifice by Flipper was on one of our records. That's a pretty, I would say, kind of a popular one. Mm-hmm. Tons of Kiss covers. Melvins have always done covers. Yeah. Well, that's ever right. Since, I heard the, the Kiss one. one. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's always fun when you can just throw a, a cover of a song that's not on a record, too, and then it's kind of like a surprise for fans because they yeah. haven't heard it. Well, ever since day one, like like Melvin's have always done covers just because we've always liked it, you know, and me coming from a cover band. Right. That's how, you, sure. that's how you learn. Yeah. You know, um, I remember when I first joined the band, we did the uh, uh, Hawaii Five-O theme. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And we also did a mantra song. We did this mantra song called I Got the Fire. That was oh. like on the centra- second Montrose record. Um, <laughs> these are songs that are unreleased. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool to hear um, that. But yeah. That's you know, fun. Or, or uh, you know, we've done everything from We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's <laughs> to uh, uh, Living After Midnight by Judas Priest. Oh, yeah, I love, I love that song. Yeah. So then tell me about your solo record. Your solo record's out now. Um, and you yeah. got a couple, and this is new one's called rat tat tat It's right there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's interesting because you play drums, guitar, and sing, but I don't, do you play bass on this one? I don't think you play bass. No, I didn't play any bass on this one. I played a little bit on the last one, but um, Steve McDonald played almost every song. Uh, He's a great bass player. He's been in my live band, and then I've been in his band, and then he's been in my other band, and we're like like in every band that we play in together. Okay, fun. (laughs) And uh, uh, so he played bass. He's, he's, great bass player love his playing and he he's he really helps out quite immensely um and then uh, um the extra track that he didn't play on is um um dan southwick who's in a band called altamont that i play in yeah and you sing on that one too right uh-huh your front man and, and yeah. play guitar yeah um, um and then uh, uh toshi kasai engineered the record played on a bunch of the tracks as well he plays in live bent as well and does second guitar and, and keyboards. And then I have a drummer besides myself. Her name's Mindy Jorgensen. Mm. And I also make her play other things like saxophone. Oh, cool. yeah. So would you do any, uh, so are you going to do any solo shows? I mean, obviously right now it's hard to plan shows, but would you tour for this record? Yeah. Well, we were hoping to, mm-hmm. and I don't know when this is going to air exactly, but um, on Valentine's day, there's the, we've been doing this, uh, Melvin's TV. We had our first episode air on New Year's Eve, mm. and this is episode two. Okay, it's, um, it's where we uh, uh, play. Melvin's play five songs, five bucks. We interview ourselves, and we have an opening band. And the opening band on this one coming up is going to be the Dale Crover band. Oh, <laughs> nice! So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I noticed yeah. the songs have Jeeps.com. Okay. Jeeps.com. I'll put so that in the, even, even after that, I don't know if this yeah. one, like I said, I don't know when this is going to air. I'm going to try to get this out maybe Friday. Perfect timing. So, It'll be up for a week. Perfect. Okay. So yeah. So, you know, I listen to some of the songs on this record. Uh, it's got, am I crazier to have kind of like a, it finally hit me. I was like thinking the seventies band had kind of this dark seventies vibe and I was, it finally hit me. It was, I think it's Emerson Lake and Palmer. Is it, that's what it, it kind of sounds like. Is, is <laughs> oh, am I really? crazy on that? Which song? Uh, was it maybe I'll never say I'll never say I think that one or uh, maybe it was one of the other ones but it kind of had that kind of like dark kind of like kind of mellow vibe some of the songs not all of them but are you a fan of them at all or am I crazy on that salad surgery right isn't that what that record's called possibly 
brain salad surgery. Well, and then, uh, uh, um, mm. <laughs> I remember my cousin being really into that stuff when I was growing up and hearing a lot of that stuff. He yeah. played keyboard, so he's really into prog stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like you have so many different, um, I mean, you have so many, uh, projects and bands that other bands you've done, Red Cross, Men of Porn, Shrine Builder, Crystal Fairy. I mean, is there anything that you want to try that you haven't tried? Like any style of music that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Um, not in particular, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got enough, enough going on, you know, but, uh, um, I don't know. I'm always up for the challenge if it's something interesting and cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It pays a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you guys must do okay with the, with the money, with all the albums you release, but also the, the movie and lice, uh, TV licensing. Right. Cause like I heard one of your songs, a history of bad men, and I'm listening to this song and I'm thinking this should be in a movie. And then I looked it up and it isn't a movie. <laughs> it's in some horror movie with yeah, Lindsay Lohan. It's a, oh, right. Yeah. Actually she's doing a strip tease to it, which is, oh, is really that, okay. That's funny. I haven't seen the movie, but I saw that was it. And then, I've, only, I've only seen that clip. I think okay. that clip might even be up on YouTube. Oh, or something. Well, I should check that out. I mean, we don't we don't really get a lot of opportunities for licensing stuff, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but our stuff's definitely available for licensing. Anybody out there wants to license our stuff, you know. Well, you have a song in uh, Natural Born Killers and episodes of True Detective and Jackass. I mean, those are pretty big things, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you that's got to be a but, nice you know well but we really want is like you know a james bond uh, uh theme song you know yeah. that would really pay you know <laughs> that would be some money and now we're now we're talking yeah well you, you know, got to yeah. think big here yeah that's true yeah we, yeah we gotta have why not why not if they get they're probably gonna do another james bond i'm sure they're not done they with those. are I think oh, they? they probably have the theme song already but you know yeah. they could back out and change it right yeah no it was supposed to come out already Oh. James Bond movie. It's been held up because of this damn COVID thing we got going on. Are you a big James Bond fan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, love James Bond. Yes. What other kind of movies are you into? Um, let me see. Um, I guess I'd say probably one of my favorite movies would be like Clockwork Orange. Oh, I love that movie. It's so dark. Uh, Kubrick was yeah. a genius. Yeah, that was a good one. I was just talking about the first time I saw that the other day, which was... Um, I remember I was, you know, probably 16. That's about when I saw it. Yeah. I'd seen, I'd already, you know, I'd been in the Melvins and I'd seen uh, people at shows wearing clockwork orange shirts. And right. I didn't really know what it was. I thought, yeah. I didn't know if it was like a, a band. And then I, I saw, oh, it's a movie. And uh, a friend of mine had it at his little rental store he had. And I remember watching it and going, oh my God. Right. Not knowing anything about it and going yeah. into that, just being like, Wow. That's how it was for me because it had come out in the seventies, and I was in it was the nineties when I saw it. So I just grabbed the tape. I think my friend had recommended it, and I just remember going, "What is this thing?" It's, it kind of blows you away. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I've always been a, a fan of Easy Rider. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a great that's movie a too. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So, um, oh, speaking going back to Tool, you're, you're a big influence on them. Can you can you tell the story? I heard you tell this on another podcast, but um, I don't know if my listeners are gonna to hear that one. So, if you could if you could tell the story again, where you guys got pulled over by a cop in Texas and he found all these drugs on you guys. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. We got pulled over in Texas, uh, right outside of uh, Houston, and um, the, the cop find some weed on the ground right outside of our van you know it wasn't ours and uh, that's anyway, what they all probably, say he, yeah right that's not you know 
<laughs> anyway. It's my mom's. Uh, um, right. Well, I mean, funny enough that I knew it wasn't ours. Yeah. Because uh, cause I knew none of us had any weed. None of us are stupid enough to have any weed driving through Texas. <laughs> we, at least I thought. Yeah. You know, especially especially the guy who got blamed for that part because I knew that he didn't even smoke weed. Okay. Uh, which was which was our road manager at the time. And anyway, so, uh, yeah, we get pulled over by this, you know, big, huge, Buford Pusser style Southern cop. And he finds this weed. He's like, whose weed is this? All right. Everybody out of the car. And uh, he gets out of the car. And he's like, I'm going to search all your bags, you know. And, and, you know, he's being the total, like, dick cop or whatever. Yeah. And, um you know, I'm I'm kind of talking to him like, you know, hey, that's not ours. He's like, oh yeah, who are you the spokesman for the group, huh? You smoke weed, and then so he goes to search my bag where I can't see. He's like behind our van, and then he comes up. He's like, you come here, and I go back there and I look at the, I look at, I see my bag on the hood of his car. I'm like, what the fuck's sticking out of my bag? And so he cuffs me, and then he's he starts pulling stuff out of my bag. He's like, look what we got here. Pulls out a pulls out a gun. And I'm like, what? Pulls out a nine millimeters. Like you got firearms. That's a, a federal offense in Texas here. And then he pulls out scales. I'm like, what? <laughs> you got scales, and I'm just like going, what the, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. And then he's like, oh Lord, look what we got here. And he pulls out the biggest bag of cocaine I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> oh. Oh man, looks like you're going to prison, you know. And so I'm just like, uh, lawyer. Oh, really? You want a lawyer after all this? You don't want to get DEA down here and, and talk to them? I'm like, no, lawyer, lawyer. Smart. All right. And then, and then he puts me in the car. And um, are you freaking out you at know? this point? Oh yeah, I'm totally just. I'm I'm thinking like, you know, okay, this this he's planted all this stuff in my bag. You know what, you know what, I don't, I don't get, you know, what's this, what's this scam here? Yeah. You know? Cause you didn't, uh, it's, it wasn't your stuff. It was obviously planted by somebody. By him. Right. You know? <laughs> so I was trying to figure out what the deal was like, okay. You know, I didn't think it would be, you know, I, I, I'm like, does he want money? You know, yeah. like bribe him. Like if you look at my bag a little, Further, you might find something else in there, <laughs> officer. Um, so then he puts me in the car, and and then you know I'm like, hey, can I talk to my my friends up there? And he's like, I don't know why he's going to jail too. He's want to fun weed on. I'm like, uh, please, he's like, all right. That's not and, part of the story. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so my my the road manager comes back and he looks at the hood of the car and sees all this stuff spread out and like you see what's going on here you're planting that stuff in my bag don't let him don't let him look in your guys's bag without you watching him and so then he starts explaining to him like you know i have reason to believe that this is not his stuff at all sorry my phone's going off here what is that like the ring doorbell or something it's it's just the telephone oh okay one of them old fang old-fashioned answering machine oh okay interesting that's fun yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so you. they've got you like all this drugs out. You're you're in handcuffs and yeah, and <sighs> then you know, and and our road manager is trying to explain. You know, uh, I have reason to believe that that's not his stuff. 
Like, oh, really? Who is this guy? And he's like, oh, he, he's name's Dale Crover. He plays in this band, The Melvins. He's like, I've never heard of you guys. I guess your show's canceled tonight, huh? And uh, Snoop Dogg had just come through and had been busted. And oh. like, I was going to be on CNN, just like the big Snoop Dogg bust. And so and then he gets me out of the car and I'm going, okay. And he's like, uh, well, you know, just wanted to tell you guys, uh, Adam Jones from Tool said you guys are, are, are pranked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucker. He was friends with Adam. Uh. That's how that happened. That is classic. Did you get him back yeah. for that? Not yet. Ooh. So there we go. <laughs> so you got to get him back for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for doing this interview. I, li- I do like to end with a charity. I don't know if your uh, publicist told you. Is there a charity that you work with? Oh, you yeah. Want to give a um, shout out to? You know, I don't have one in, in particular, but how about uh, uh, breast cancer? Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll put that on sure the. That would, uh, be, that would be easy enough. That's easy enough. Absolutely, I'll, I'll put that in the notes if people want to throw a few bucks there. And also, they need to uh, get the new Melvin's record and the new Dale Crover. And then, or you have any other new music coming out with the, all the other twenty bands that you're in? Or probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, um, you know those two things for sure. Yeah, get my new record, get the new Melvin's record. That's that's out. That's fresh. Okay, it should be freshly out of the oven. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Dale. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, be in Chad. touch. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, man. Take care. Nice to talk to you again. All right. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. I love that story. That is a classic prank. He's got to get Adam back for that. Uh, it's pretty elaborate. Uh, thank you to Dale for coming on the show. Again, check out the new Melvin's album and Dale's solo record. His solo stuff is very different from the Melvin's, but both are very good. And make sure to follow Dale and the Melvin's on social media. And while you're at it, uh, you can give me a follow and share the episode if you enjoyed it. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you scroll down all the way to the bottom, you can write me a review and let me know what you think. I appreciate all your support. It really helps me out. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.